0: Welcome to the APL NextEd Minipod, where for a few minutes each week, academic leaders share insights and perspectives on the most important issues and opportunities facing academic teams. Learn how other schools are managing and strategizing for success as your host, CEO and founder of APL NextEd, Kathleen Gibson, gathers and connects practical seeds of knowledge and experience from her guests.
1: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of APL NextEd Minipod. This week, we are joined by Jennifer Manny, who is the director of the Center for Teaching and Learning at Marquette University. Jennifer is kicking off our conversations for the next several weeks on faculty engagement, teaching and learning support, and how TNL centers have evolved and risen to the tremendous challenges presented in the last couple of years. Jennifer brings a very unique set of experiences and perspective to her role as the director of teaching and learning at Marquette University super excited to have her with us today her role really in the in the position she has at Marquette is to support the pedagogical practices of all faculty instructors and to also support them in the infusion of Ignatian pedagogy in their teaching and in their interactions with students this is i think fascinating and one of the topics that i hope we'll dive into this idea of being mission centric in the Mm -hmm. ways in which you are creating and supporting faculty and putting teaching and learning programs together. Jennifer is responsible for helping to build the inclusive, equitable and justice focused learning experiences in the classroom by helping faculty think of their implicit biases and what could impact a welcoming environment for all students. Prior to this position, Jennifer was responsible for the coordination for the Greater Milwaukee Catholic Education Consortium. The GMCEC was a collaborative effort between Alverno College, Mount Mary College, Cardinal Stritch University, Marion University, and Marquette University, who joined forces to support Catholic education in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. Manny has previously served as the director of career development at Carroll University, and Manny has a doctorate in educational policy and leadership with a minor in diversity and education. She also has a master's in counseling and a bachelor's degree in journalism, and we are thrilled to have you today. Welcome. Thank
2: you. Glad to be here.
1: I finally let you talk after that very long introduction.
2: (laughs) It's all good.
1: Super glad to have you with us today. Oh, when we were putting together invitations to build this set of conversations specifically focused around supporting and engaging faculty, particularly in the context of teaching and learning resources and teaching and learning centers, I was so fascinated uh, in, in my search to find you who have has such an interesting and unique set of experiences and perspectives coming into the role as the Director of Teaching and Learning at Marquette University. I'd love for you to share a little bit, I just read your bio, but share a little bit about kind of what your past work experiences have been, what you've done that sort of prepared you for the role you're in today, and perhaps has informed how you're going to lead in this area uh, going into the future.
2: Uh, That's a great question, and it's great because I'm not Or anything prepared me for the last 18 months, I think it's fair to say. Um, You know, I, I, like I said, I, I, like you said, actually, I got my master's degree in counseling, and that led me to, you know, a number of different kinds of things. And one was as I was working on my doctorate, it's a part, like a part time gig at Mount Mary University, actually, where I started doing or added to my career counseling, vocational development kinds of things. So, you know, when I was at Carroll University and running their career center, I did a lot of vocational exploration and mm-hmm. really kind of thinking about issues around diversity. And I, you know, was a part of that whole effort and what felt like a really long time ago in the beginning efforts of really um, being intentional about equity and inclusion and that sort of, sort of thing. And also had some experience at the local technical college here where I started a bilingual program in early childhood education. And Through the course of all that, landed at Marquette in uh, directing this consortium. That really brought me in in touch with the K-12 world, and and that's what I was also teaching. I I teach teachers as my background is in in education, as my content area. And when I came back to Marquette, I think it's fair to say I made a very intentional decision to, to engage in all things Ignatian or Jesuit or, you know, whatever terminology you want to use for that. And I happened to be a a, a practicing Catholic and, you know, it was challenging. It was challenging around those particular times for a lot of reasons about my uh, faith identity. And I had a a brother who was sick and just really struggling. So I really stepped into the resources that were at Marquette at that time. There's some, you know, there's a mission center, there's a Faber center that really looks at St. Ignatius of Loyola and all the kind of the, what I call the tenants of that 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 type of approach and in the meantime you know a lot of things happen and i found myself shifting over to the to the ctl or the center for teaching and learning originally i was brought over here not as the director but as somebody that was going to very intentionally infuse or support the infusion of ignatian elements as well as equity and uh and inclusion and elements of justice the social justice component of the university in a very short period of time, a lot of uh, things happened that I I don't have enough time to talk about. And I found myself uh, in July of uh, 2019, I guess it would be in the role of an interim director and then COVID hit in March and then in April was named or May was named permanent director. So the answer to your question, I didn't really have any explicit training on being a, a CTL director or faculty sport director. But what I felt I did have was teaching experience, classroom experience, um, the Ignatian components of that, uh, the doctoral program that, inf- that did infuse a lot of the diversity and equity into, um, the program was here at Marquette and it's, it's very intentional on the social justice, mm-hmm. excuse me, elements of, of um, the classroom. So again, I, I don't know how it happened, but I, I, guess, I guess when I hear you read then and I look at sort of the written kind of thing, it, it does kind of thread through a little bit and I feel like now that I've got my sea legs a little bit in this role, it's making sense for me <laughs> to be able to talk to faculty about general pedagogy and all that that entails. And at the same time, not in a silo, but at the same time fuse in the Ignatian or the mission identity of the, of the university, as well as more the DEI stuff, the diversity, equity, inclusion, and how do those three all mesh together? That's what I'm, I'm most passionate and, um, Intrigued by is how do you work with faculty at a place like Marquette, where we're we're supposed to be living that mission in a very intentional way. So how do you pull all those together? Where you're talking about assessment, or if you're talking about course design, or you're talking about classroom and instro- whatever it is you're talking about, I feel like I'm um, I I can't say uniquely positioned because are a lot of really excellent excellent people on here who do similar things, but at least I'm I'm okay positioned to be able to to thread those three together.
1: Well, I think you're being really humble because I can't imagine like a better set of experiences and perspectives and credentials to prepare someone to lead a teaching and resource center during COVID, right? I mean, you've got the counseling background, you've got the mission understanding and sort of application. You've got the classroom teaching of teachers. uh, You have the DEI sorts of perspectives that came out of your graduate. I mean- I think, I think this, you know, you, you mentioned vocational exploration. I'm not sure we didn't talk about this when we met a few weeks ago, but were you involved at all in the Lilly uh, grant a few years back on uh, the theological exploration of vocation?
2: Not explicitly, you know, certainly familiar with that, but not not explicitly. Yeah. But, you know, back to your point, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say that the counseling background, particularly starting last March of 2020, I, yeah. I really... If I were to step back and look at that a little bit more thoughtfully, I would say that that experience and background, both training and practical application, has been has been. Um, I feel it's been really important when working with faculty and instructors. And when I say faculty, of course, I mean all instructors, adjunct, non right. tenure track, tenure right. track, you know, all, all those kinds of identity, kinds of positionalities. But the counseling part about how to um, I'll use kind of an Ignatian phrase, how to be with faculty (laughs) during, during that moment or this moment, it's really continuing as it hasn't ended, but you know, how do you support human beings that are going through something none of us really had ever experienced before? You know, it goes without saying we, we we flipped, you know, thousands really of of classes in one week's time Mm -hmm. from largely um, not exclusively, but largely traditional face-to-face classes into an online modality with a lot of faculty who had, some had more than others, but some didn't have a lot of experience in their learning management system or the platform. And for the record, nor did I have a lot of experience in <laughs> Microsoft Teams. That really mm-hmm. came as a result of all. So we were all learning together, but it was it became very important, at least in, in my kind of position where I am here in the the team that I'm, that I'm surrounded with to really lead with compassion. And, and I use that term very again, very intentionally is I think this sense of empathy of what faculty were experiencing both in, you know, the anxiety around h- how to teach literally from the technology standpoint and the, and we have a department of digital learning that I work with, uh, we all sit together, but we're two separate units who are just extraordinary. Mm-hmm. About what they did and how they responded, in, in partnership with what we were trying to do as well, and and then really be compassionate about faculty who were, you know, re- their own kids came home to learn. Whether they right. were, whether they were, you know, maybe they were in school, but maybe they were infants, but right. maybe they were college students and everything in between. They were trying to manage houses, and in some cases, manage their own illness, and right. in many cases, illnesses of family or loved ones. Right and then trying to meet the outcomes of the class they were teaching students. And then we were asking them, and rightly so, to care for the students with compassion. So there are all these factors swirling around and it became very important to stop once in a while and say, what are we doing or what should we be doing to actually help our faculty during this very historic moment that had all sorts of complications around it.
1: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean, again, what better preparation to support a faculty in a crisis than someone with a counseling background. And to your point, um, I've said this in many of our, in our, many of our podcasts and, you know, the faculty are really the frontline workers for higher Mm -hmm. education. And so they're dealing with everything everyone else is dealing, but they're also absorbing, right. All of that pain and all that anxiety and Mm -hmm. all of the challenges faced by their students. And, and so I, you know, it's incumbent, I think on not just faith-based institutions with, with missions to understand social justice and to also, um, be compassionate, but, you know, any university or college, uh, should be paying attention to those individuals as people and, and providing the kinds of support and things that you're doing. I'd love for you to step back a little bit, just for, uh, listeners who may not know what Ignatian, sort of theology or mission is, and I, I'm sure there are volumes and volumes and volumes of, of books written on this, but, you know, from your uh, perspective, if you could give sort of a layperson's definition of, of what, the, what that means and what the core values are and how that translates first into Marquette's vision and then into your vision for how you,
2: how you support your faculty. Sure. Yeah. And I'll, I'll try really hard. Not to. I know this isn't a session on Ignatian pedagogy, but, you know, there are some fundamental principles. The first being what we call cura personalis, which means whole person. And again, is that distinctive from other universities? You know, I mean, I think all universities would say that they address the whole person. You know, we add the extra component, if you will, of, of, of faith and the spiritual uh, well-being of students, regardless of what that identity is, by the way. You know, I mean, we are a Catholic Jesuit university, but we serve all different kinds of faith traditions, or what I would say is sometimes no faith tradition. Mm -hmm. And that's our effort to be inclusive. So you don't have to identify. At the same time, we do understand our our core history of what it means to be Catholic. And there's a deep intellectual tradition of what it means to be Catholic in terms of value of the arts and the humanities and intellectual inquiry and all those kinds of things that we, we try to take very seriously. And then the, the Jesuit component of that and the, the history of the Jesuits is um, a, a couple different things that I'll talk about. One is this sort of unity of the heart and mind, and that goes along with cure personalis and making sure we're addressing all the all of the the identity kind of markers of, of, of the students in the classroom. Um, the, there's a couple different things I guess I'll just, for in the interest of time, kind of point out. And one is this sense of solidarity, and we have this obligation. To be each other's brothers and sisters, keepers, and meeting the world where its needs are, and, and we call that the magis—that sort of working toward toward excellence, not perfection, but being better, you know—and helping our students find the ways to connect their classroom content or their discipline or their major to to where the world's needs are, and then uh, you know responding to that. So it's working with and for the margins. Uh, we we talk about that service to the poor, um, again, that, that issue of solidarity. And, and we try to take very seriously, and that's part of my job, is to help faculty, particularly those who have not been introduced or steeped in any kind of Ignatian or, or even Catholic um, sensibility, for lack of a better term, to, to help them understand those foundational principles of cura personalis and meeting the world where its needs are and solidarity and working toward peace you know, and, and social justice and, and understanding the seven components of social justice of the Catholic church. You know, I heard a, a Jesuit tell me one time that, that at, its, at our core, we don't send students to Marquette University. We send them from Marquette University. And we don't send them into the margins or working for the poor or the marginalized. And that's a broad term. But we don't do that so that we can change the margins. We do it so that we can be changed. So we say very intentionally we work with and for each other. So when we send our students into the community, it's really helping faculty understand and then subsequently students understand we're not going into the communities in some sort of a, a sympathy exercise, that kind of thing, or, or even the sense of uh, gratitudes a, a, a large component of Ignatian pedagogy, but it's not, let's go into the community so that we can feel bad for these people, and then rush back to our own comfort, you know, kind of it's no, it's coming back to the classroom and thinking about those systematic inequities that lead to why there are poor people in our city and people that don't have enough food or people that are living in, in, in poverty or in homes that aren't, you know, what our students are experiencing. So getting them to think deeper in the classroom. So whether you're an engineering student or you're a physical therapist, or you know what are all those components about being with your brothers and sisters that should be informing your, your classroom experience? What kinds of products or services should you be thinking about you know, inventing or creating? Or what kind of physical therapist or nurse should you be so that you can serve all community members, not just ones that look like you or <laughs> that might have challenges that, that maybe you don't best understand? And then the last thing I would say in this realm would be this sense of God in all things. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm very careful when I say that only because we don't apologize for being Catholic and Jesuit, but God can mean different things to different people. Mm-hmm. But how I've resonated with the, um, the Ignatian identity of this university is that one. And it's, it's finding God in all things. And it's even in the hardest of moments and we and we would do that during covid where we would offer coffee hours or moments of reflection we do a lot of reflecting here mm-hmm. at marquette and that means moments of silence and what some people have called you know productive solitude you know, so giving space for students to really absorb information and be able to reflect why they're learning it and how it can connect to that greater good and so that allows us opportunities especially during a time like like covid of of not so much things happen for a reason, although there is a connection to that. But you know, whether you find your God in nature, or you find your God in music, or you find your God in retreat, or you find your God in reading, or you find you know, like, what are those places where you can get that productive solitude or restful excellence? And and then again, my role is to help faculty introduce faculty to these kinds of concepts in a user-friendly way so that it's it's not too thick. <laughs> Right. dense, but it's applicable into the classroom. So you know there's five elements to the Ignatian paradigm and I don't need to go through all of them now, but <laughs> one is certainly reflection. one is differentiating the experience in the classroom to meet students where they are in prior knowledge. and the other one is action and there's five. But the, the action one is okay, so you've learned all this good material, some of it might be theory or some of it might be methodology, but then how might we apply that? Right. So whether that's right now because you're doing service learning or you're engaged in the community or it's, you know, after you graduate, what will this experience and how should this experience at Marquette University be different or feel different? So when you go out into the community, it's not just about you. It's mm-hmm. about your role as a, a, a colleague, a, a parent perhaps, or a partner or a community member or whatever it is whatever role you're going to take on how we hope if we deliver what we say we're going to deliver that after this Marquette university experience it goes beyond you it's it's meeting the world it's that the kind of global nature and applying those elements of social justice in a way that leaves the world a little bit different does
1: that make sense makes perfect sense and yeah. thank you for that that orientation I think um, I mean a couple of a couple of points of feedback um, what you were saying reminds me so much of this quote I love and I hope I get it right it's Frederick Beekner talking about vocation or calling um, your your vocation or your calling is the place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep need yep and this idea exactly. that you know work isn't just for money you know work is a way to honor the lives we're living uh, and certainly to your point. Embrace the needs of, of those around us, um, and I'm wondering as you as you talked through uh, some of the tenets of of Ignatian pedagogy and Marquette mission and and goals and sort of what you're hoping students walk away with. How does this inform you know the other big group that is a part of teaching and learning, um, the the faculty? Uh, mm-hmm. How how does that mission that you shared, how do those values, how do those translate into teaching as a calling and and how you serve your faculty?
2: Yeah, and I'll answer, I guess I, my first thought is to answer it in two ways. You know, one, my responsibility and roles as far as, you know, kind of, I, I I, I don't like this word, but sort of training or helping or supporting faculty, understand those elements that I kind of very briefly just talked through and and the practicality of how to then um, infuse it into the class and impart it to the students. But the other role is really my role is doing some of that out of the classroom for faculty, (laughs) you know, so, you know, offering them opportunities, as I mentioned, to sort of be together in community. And, you know, we had our our first uh, pedagogical book talk on Friday and starting every one of those moments with a brief period of reflection. And sometimes that's a prayer. Um, sometimes I do it with a prayer from another faith tradition to sort of honor that sense of equity and inclusion, broadly speaking, as far as our instructors. But I think if, if I'm understanding your your question, as far as the teaching part of it, you know, when, when I mentioned that one of those elements of the Ignatian paradigm, um, the, the official word is the experience part of it. And that's talking about, you know, what are you actually doing in the classroom? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the hope is, because the data would suggest this, that, uh, you know, a straight up lecture doesn't really work that well for this particular student population right now that we're dealing with, especially post-COVID. Not that there aren't places for that, especially in the pre-professional programs. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of reasons why that would make sense. But you have to then embrace the, the context, which is the other one of the students coming into the classroom. So if you're gonna really be appreciative of the different lenses that our students are coming from, the different values they're holding as far as their community, their family members, all the things that make them who they are, then you should be thinking in different ways about how you impart your content. So you should be thinking about small groups and elements of active learning and you should do I'm, I'm not saying should do, but you should consider anyway, right. you know, dialogue or you could do debates or we talk about taking your students on field trips and over to our museum and which is just steeped in art, broadly speaking, but a lot of Ignatian art and a lot of reflective opportunities or service learning or, you know, what are the ways that you can respond to the different ways that students learn mm-hmm. so that when they walk into the classroom, it doesn't look just one way. It's not one size fits all. So we talk about that. And then oftentimes I'll talk about little tips and strategies about uh, how, for example, to use polling mm-hmm. to, to, to get some anonymity in the classroom to get those introverted students who are not likely the ones to raise their hand, you know, in that traditional way of asking a question. And in my experience, the extroverted students tend to raise their hand first and it, it leaves out a whole other right. group of individuals. So then walking walking with faculty and saying, well, maybe you should ask a question and then allow them to journal for just a little bit to get their thoughts from head to paper. And then maybe we could do some small group or a turn and share and pair share or whatever those little strategies are. And, you know, to get everybody talking all in the sense of building a community in the classroom Mm -hmm. and ultimately building trust in the classroom so that the faculty then has their pulse, you know, on, on what's happening and who's missing. And that happened, you know, As we all know, a lot in COVID students would just disappear and it was hard to find them, but it became easier to find them when the faculty had built that relationship on the front end Mm -hmm. and taking those opportunities and those little strategies to get students to get comfortable and to feel safe. So now I think even when I'm hearing myself talk, I think it becomes clear then how those three elements come together, pedagogical strategies to get good learning to happen in the classroom. And by the way, we have a lot of faculty that do a lot of great things around this. They don't need me to tell me that. (laughs) And then those Ignatian elements of, you know, differentiating the instruction and the value of the whole student, including the spiritual formation kinds of things, not formation, but understanding, and then the equity and inclusion. So equity inclusion means personality styles, learning styles, different identity markers, the awareness of sort of gender kinds of challenges in traditionally male dominated majors. And how can you use some of those tips and tools and strategies to get that sense of community in the classroom? So that's the kind of stuff I love doing is when I get a request from a faculty to go into a classroom. Um, Even if it's a faculty that doesn't understand how those all come together, if I'm given the opportunity, I can talk to the students about how those kind of all come together. both in their experience in the classroom right in that moment, but also who they're supposed to be becoming when they leave Marquette. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like certainly these tenets of, again, Ignatian pedagogy very much inform the mission. The mission very much informs both the strategies of the resource center, but also can be translated, shared, approximated by the faculty in whatever context makes most sense to them. I mean, the, the whole idea of reflection, you know, to me, meta-learning, I mean, you mm-hmm. know, this is sort of a fundamental basic pedagogical tool is, and certainly my gosh, and in the time we're living in where, you know, you're talking about reflection and I'm like thinking how lovely it would be to, (laughs) you know, to pause and to have, have a minute or two and, and to use the opportunity as an instructor to make that a habit of learning, to make that part of your, you know, maybe even your habit of being. And again, without any sort of specific, it sounds like, your agenda is, you know, without any sort of specific mandate as to right. what that should look like. But golly, I mean, I say all the time that you know what our grandparents knew intuitively or through social history. Um, you know, the science is bearing out now, and we we need a break from the technology and the constant voices. And and so this is, you know, something that I think again our our ancestors knew very well. um, And, you know, maybe, maybe we forgot for a little while. uh, But certainly I think, you know, these very specific kinds of things like, you know, instituting reflection into a learning experience, even to make it an example, or perhaps a a future habit for, for a student is that's tremendous learning, right? I mean, you can't ask for more. And then what I also heard you say is this idea of relationship, right? Being in relationship with the faculty, meeting them where they are you know, listening, being, meeting them uh, with either tools or encouragement or an opportunity to be in community, you know, just being in relationship with them so that you can be attuned to what they need in the same way that they as great faculty called to teaching will want to be attuned, you know, to the needs of their students so that if a student is suffering or, you know, is, uh, MIA for a little while that, you know, everybody in the community is, you know, rallying and, and, and trying to find that person. And Well, wouldn't that be a tremendous learning environment uh, to be in that sort of situation?
2: Yeah. And one of the things we did um, just this fall is, and not that we hadn't done it before, but we were just much more intentional about it, is given the time and given what most of us have gone through, students, faculty, everyone, this past, you know, year and a half, Is we provided and we created some first day resources, and we did that in collaboration with our Faber Center here, which is the faculty and staff spiritual direction unit, uh, in which I'm engaged in a lot, and I I learn a lot there, and then bring it back into my work here in the in the um, center. And that that was, you know, let's not pretend this moment didn't happen. So let's create. in, In the Great Ignatian tradition, is the it's called an examen. You know, and, and, and ideally you do a daily exam and you don't have to do it, but it's a really, it's a time to stop, reflect on your day, what went well, what could have gone better, and then, and then using that to kind of look forward to tomorrow. So the Faber Center put together some really great resources and we came in to support that and created some very cool reflection questions for faculty to consider using not necessarily in lieu of a syllabus review, which more often happens, you know, the first day, but maybe putting that off a little bit and spending that first day talking about how are you doing? How are you mm-hmm. feeling? What do you, what do you hope? One of the questions is sort of what are your hopes and dreams about this particular class? And we know that's relative to why the students taking the class, right. but really encouraging them. And then we're going to, I read, want my general education. credit. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then you know, there'll be a midterm check-in kind of thing. And we've talked to faculty very explicitly about taking those moments of reflection and pairing it with some real practical kind, practical kinds of things, like even a mid-project check-in mm-hmm. and just stopping for a moment and, 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 and figuring out where students are, what's going right, what's not going right, catching them before they get too far behind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those kinds of things we're, we're trying to sort of be more intentional of infusing, or maybe that's not the right word, uh, what's the word I want in like giving faculty the language they need, because I think that there's some faculty that would love to do this more, but they may not know how, or they may not know where to start, or they, they say, well, I didn't grow up Catholic, or I don't really understand that. And so a, a constant narrative, if you don't have to be any particular identified way to attach to the mission and some of these elements in the classroom in ways that we think will help your teaching and help the student experience as well. Yeah, I mean, what I'm
1: hearing you say is you're translating something that you many identify as uniquely Catholic, stemming out of the mission, but that are really practical, good ideas, right? Reflecting, building community that anyone could appreciate. I I wonder um, what sort of specific things have you done in the last eighteen months to build into the faculty themselves right so I mean I think there's Mm -hmm. there's the professional piece and this kind of gets back to your counseling background but there's that professional piece right I mean I'm a faculty suddenly everything's online Uh, my students are in you know mentally in 50 different places Um, if I have 50 students uh, how do I manage all of that but then there's the well I'm uh, the university, the teaching and learning center saying, well, Jennifer, you're also, in addition to being a, per, uh, a faculty member or a teacher, you're also a person. Mm-hmm, and, right. and let's talk about that. Um, how, yeah. what, what sorts of things have you done to, or have you thought about, or how have you even stayed connected to or with faculty when sure. there were months when we weren't face-to-face?
2: Yeah. And I think if, if someone were to ask me, the thing that I'm most proud of that, um, and again, it's not myself, it's myself and some really great people uh, surrounding me. How we kind of navigated through that and then continue to navigate it, it's that piece. And I say that because if there was one advantage in a university setting of a global pandemic, it was starting last March. Boy, I, you know, I was on more committees than I could have ever imagined that never existed before. You know, the COVID chair meeting, the COVID associate dean uh, committee, the you know, you name it, and there was a new committee formed. And what that meant was, at least in in my experience in higher ed, there was a cross discipline pollination that was happening because we had to, and it developed relationships among people that I, I'm hoping we will continue. And we're trying to be very um, aware of that because we don't want that to go away. Because as we all know, we tend to be siloed. You know, you you close your door, and it's all you, you go to your departmental meeting and Maybe you have a a broader meeting other than your, but you know, the fact that physical therapy instructors were meeting with law instructors and with dental school and poli sci and history and nursing. And I mean, I don't know if that had ever happened before in the way that it happened now. So we wanted to take advantage of that. So how do we take advantage of that? (laughs) So, you know, we built, I think, I feel like we built a lot of solid relationships with people by participating in those meetings being fairly vocal and assertive in what we felt what were focuses on the human element, you know, because I think we needed to, for a variety of reasons, I think it was good practice to continue to remind people that these were human beings behind these computer screens, not just the students, because we did a lot of time, you know, employing faculty to, to, to care for their students. But then we became very vocal, um, again, not alone, but very vocal about care for faculty mm-hmm. and instructors. So again, I think I mentioned, we had coffee chats um, at once a week. I had a coffee chat and people could just come in. There, were, there was no outcome, there was no agenda, there was no anything, just come in and talk. And people did. They came in and they, just, they, they did everything from vented to ask technology questions. Um, to ask some strategy kinds of things, to share stories about what was happening in their life. Um, we created a, a diversity book club, had nothing to do with pedagogy. It was, I know you have limited time, but people were still wanting to take breaks from, from work kinds of things. And we have a lot of readers on our campus. So we put together a kind of a diversity book club and it was, you know we, we read all different kinds of authors. Again, these were novels, they were not how to teach, nothing it was it was that and had pretty good participation in that we started a record club and we did that around um i did it in partnership with our um, inclusive excellence office here on campus um, we brought in Rhiannon Giddings who is a fabulous singer songwriter instrumentalist um just she's just doing remarkable things and she also talks a lot about how music can bring people together uh, and so we started a record club and it, it included everything from from social issues and how music can be wrapped around that this particular year. We're just, we just picked eight kind of diverse artists, I guess, uh, albums that we think people would, that would resonate with people and people show up and they just hmm. want to talk about music, Yeah, you know? And in the meantime, that I think as a broader outcome, people then learn who I was for sure. Mm-hmm. And then I have some, I have a senior fellow that helps me 20 hours a week and then I have some part-time very part-time CTL fellows under different kinds of themes that can respond to faculty, but because they got to know us and I guess I, dare I say, trust us um, now they're still reaching out. I still see them on campus. I had coffee with one I had never met before just last week. And so I feel very proud that we'll continue to some extent, at least to the extent that we can some sort of cross discipline. So I had, I mentioned, I had our, our first, uh, not our diversity book club, but our first kind of pedagogy related Mm book club or community of practice around a book called radical hope. I had, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 people around the table on Friday. We served them lunch. Not one person was duplicative of, of a discipline. Mm. So it was social cultural, it was biomed. It was math. It was theology. It was English. It was psych. How cool. You know, very cool. And I think, you know, if nothing else, we want to continue to offer the pedagogy stuff as I like to call it with that wrapped in Ignatian and DEI kinds of things. And then the self care. What that's what I think that leading with compassion really is, is recognizing the humanity behind these cameras and or walks around campus, and not knowing what everybody's bringing, what burdens people are bringing into their you know. So that goes what I said earlier. How how do you? I challenge faculty sometimes. How do you want to be on this campus, both with your students, you know, with your colleagues, you know, when you leave here the hope would be they leave here and say, wow, my experience at Marquette University felt really distinctive. Mm -hmm. And I could, and I got a, at least a good understanding of what it means to be at a Catholic Jesuit university. And I felt confident enough because some of this is building confidence Mm -hmm. and lessening the intimidation of how to kind of infuse some of these things into your classroom and making them really understandable and practical. You know,
1: I I love what you said about kind of bringing everyone together. I mean, that's, that's my, my thing. I mean, that's why my company exists. I mean, I, you know, saw the silos and we'll, we'll be better as institutions when we all come together. And unfortunately we have a very long history of being siloed. I mean, when you were talking about the book club, especially the one last week where you had people from discipline, you know, many different disciplines, I used to work as a faculty member and I worked in a, in a big old building that had faculty offices for about. 15 different departments. And so in the, in in the place where the coffee was, and this was an old, old building um, that they ended up having to tear down, which I was just so desperately sad about because it was this place where it was the one place where you could find people from many, many different disciplines. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think sometimes we forget scholars are trained to really find in a lot of cases, their primary identification with other scholars in their field or discipline, which might be one or two other people who live across the world. And so, you know, it might not even be at their institution. And then, you know, the second layer might be that department where you're having regular department meetings and maybe a department celebration occasionally. But beyond that, you know, there isn't a lot of opportunity, not just for the practical and efficiency arguments of bringing everybody together, but for the the community and for the opportunity for growth and learning. I mean, I learned more about teaching in those you know, informal coffees, you know, right, an hour before my class in a passing period with, you know, a senior faculty member from, you know, chemistry than I did in a lot of the, you know, brown bag lunches that were, you know, much more structured. Um, so I think what you're doing is really, you know, living out what you said the mission is, and that is, you know, providing opportunities for people to build community and relationships. And at the same time, you yourself and your, your team building relationships with folks who are then going to have, I think, a different perspective. I mean, I think for a lot of years, unfortunately, teaching and resource centers were like, oh yeah, twice a year, I have to show up on a Saturday morning and, (laughs) you know, do four hours of blah, 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 or you know, I can run between my 10 other things and, you know, hear a few minutes of something, but it wasn't this, it was, you know, there wasn't this, this is my resource, my place, my, my place to, uh, you know, my, uh, center to right, sort of get what I need and to have the opportunity to, uh, to be with folks who are different from me and, and to have somebody like yourself who, who really cares and is engaged and, you know, not only wants me to be a better teacher, but wants me to, you know, be a healthy person.
2: Yeah. It was really fun at that at that session on Friday where it got pretty practical, pretty quick. Like, you know, we were talking about the book of course, which really guided us in a really nice way, but it was, well, how do you do this in, mm-hmm. in psychology? Cause I'm looking for a way to get this done. And, and it was, you know, listen. We're always struggling with the usual suspects. You know, we tend to have a, a core group of people even before COVID, but I think that group has expanded now, where people were introduced us to us in a way that maybe they didn't even know we were here. In some ways, yeah, I don't know. I, I my tenure here is kind of short, but um, and and so we had a welcome back social, and I wasn't sure what was going to happen. You know, we put some music on, and let some you know we just you know got some adult libations and like 35 people showed up and and yeah. and I was so happy about that that and I and I think faculty I I don't know but I'd like to think faculty too it, through this last year and a half understood that you know just because someone doesn't teach in my discipline doesn't mean they're not doing something pedagogically mm-hmm. from which I can't benefit mm-hmm. and and maybe that was just a reminder you know maybe people didn't mm-hmm. intentionally think that or you know explicitly think that but I think it was a good reminder of, wow, I I got to know this person over here and they gave me this really good idea that I could, you know, employ in my own class. And that's, I think, the energy we need to build on now moving forward of getting more and more and more people to the extent that it's appropriate they do so, right? I mean, nobody has to come to our center, but Mm -hmm. I think there's a benefit to being engaged Mm -hmm. in, at least in our case, in in the CTL and and that cross-pollination. Mm-hmm. And, and what will oftentimes happen. So next week I start, or I'm sorry, this past week, I, I start um, every fall I offer an Ignatian pedagogical paradigm cohort. And I kick off the first session, but the rest of the seven sessions are all led by faculty. Mm-hmm. And these are faculty that I've come to know that do a really nice job infusing the elements of the Ignatian pedagogy. So So oftentimes it'll be new faculty or, you know, different subsets of faculty. And then I say, okay, I'm Jennifer, I run the CTL, but the rest of the time you're going to hear from your colleagues Mm
0: -hmm. and they're
2: going to tell you how to be a little more, maybe explicit about, because we have some faculty, for example, that'll say to their students, I'm going to do something now that's very Ignatian. (laughs) So the students can start to understand that nuance. And we have other faculty that are like, oh yeah, I just sneak it in and they don't even know it. So if you were to ask them, they might, they might not be able to say, oh yeah, my teacher was very Ignatian, but believe me, I'm doing it in some of the, some of the strategies that I'm using in the class. So I want that cohort to, to learn from their colleagues that it's not, it's not magic. You don't have to be Catholic. You don't have to have been steeped for years or gone through the various things that I've gone through as a, as a part of that Faber center, but you can do some of these things and still have this experience feel unique to the Mm -hmm. students, and more importantly, offer those students opportunity to be good learners and to be successful. Because at the end of the day, it's all about making all of our students across all identities successful, and then making the workplace what you hope is a good place where faculty can come in and feel joy. (laughs) So that was, you know, when I think about this last 18 months, I'd like to think, not just myself, but a a lot of units around this campus, provided some pockets to give faculty and instructors joy Mm -hmm. so then they can then impart that a little bit into the classroom at least go into the classroom feeling the opposite of that I guess you know
1: what I love in listening to you is this idea that's resonating that it's you know it takes a village I know that's like corny and overused and all but you know the it's not just that single faculty going in and it's their job to deliver on the academic mission of the institution. I mean, there's a reason we have these infrastructures built. And when we can see the true sort of partnership and synergy that happens mm-hmm. between and among resources like you're providing and, you know, even the leadership deans and chairs, I mean, when we start to do that, wow, I mean, I get goosebumps thinking about the impact we're going to have on students, when we all start collaborating and connecting and sharing resources and and learning from one another as a as a team, in order to you know help students have a great have a great experience, but also all the goodness that comes just for from the fact of doing that. Right. I mean, I think obviously schools have. Outcomes they need to achieve, learning outcomes and financial outcomes and things. But when we talk about this uh, competitive and consolidating environment, the people are going to be what bring great people and what bring great students. And I think when you can see a healthy community like the one that you're helping to create, I think it's just going to make all the difference in the world for. For an institution's ability to be sustainable and to continue to have
2: an impact. Yeah, and I talked. You know, I talked a lot about uh, you know the kind of the unity of the faculty or the attempt at kind of unifying the faculty. I you know that doesn't even touch the ways in which myself personally, as the director of the center, by virtue of the pandemic and all the necessities, and I'm a pretty good collaborator, so I had built some relationships in my time here. Um, even when I was over in the College of Ed, but when I think about the relationships I've built now with, mm-hmm. and, and I was just running down the list with mission and uh, mission and ministry, um, the Office of Institutional Research, uh, the Haggerty Art Museum, Student Affairs, mm-hmm. the Counseling Center. I, I mean, I, I I wouldn't even be able to to, to name them all of the people that were either part of those committees or I just had to reach out to them because we were creating. The library, you know, we were creating syllabus language together, and we were talking about COVID, and then we had to write a diversity statement, and all the things that in, that felt like it was at least touched the center that we were a part of, it, it required us mm-hmm. to work in such a way that now I have relationships I did not have 18 months ago. I know that, and I can call in, sort of call in the troops, to your point about the village to help me in all different kinds of ways, whether it's just personal Mm -hmm. ways or help me get my job done Mm -hmm. or collaborate programs together. We're doing things that, so, I mean, as, as awful as the, the global pandemic was in this idea of racial reckoning and um, you know, all, all the things that were done, there, there were some things that came out of this that I hope stick Mm -hmm. and we don't roll back into doing things the way we've always done them, especially if that doesn't make sense. (laughs) So whether it's, re-looking at your course design and looking at the ways in which, you know, you build those relationships, the flexibility needed for students, looking at your assessments, but also kind of collaborating together on a program. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think it has the opportunity, I think, to sort of be a game changer in higher education. And my hope is that we continue to have those conversations about that, about what not to go back to and what to continue, things that we can let go of and things to hang on to. And that's what's interesting about being in higher ed right now mm-hmm. is you know the use of and it, it you know, a common term in Ignatian practice is uh, reimagination. You know, how how mm-hmm. are we going to reimagine or what are the mm-hmm. opportunities to reimagine meeting the students where their needs are and the families, the different kinds of student demographics this is likely to to hopefully to bring. And then, you know, again, how to prepare our students to to meet those needs, both both in an economic and sort of a global kind of way, but even just working for, you know, someone, I, I actually think it was Pope Francis or maybe it was Pope John Paul said, you know, you can't work for social justice without working for peace. Mm-hmm. And I always say to faculty, boy, do we need that now? Mm-hmm. So, you know, how can we all work together and come together? I'm an idealist.
1: Me too. Never <laughs> going
2: to be perfect. But I like the, I like the aspirational for components sure. of that, of something to work toward. And that's what makes me come to work every day, fairly joyful, even, even right now, you know? Yeah.
1: So in conclusion, and thank you for that. I mean, this has been a very inspirational time. So grateful for what you've shared. So if you could, in conclusion, just share maybe one thing that you would offer as a starting point for someone running a teaching and learning center who maybe they're not, seeing their programming or even their initiatives or goals being grounded in their mission or in what they're trying to accomplish. Um, You know, maybe they're just doing what they've done for 30 years. And yes, twice a year we offer, you know, new faculty workshop and, you know, we do a brown bag once a month and -and so-and-so picks the topic. What would you say to, to one of those directors to encourage them Uh, About the importance of sort of grounding what they're doing, not just in, you know, good, ensuring there's good resources for good pedagogical practices and, uh, and taking care of faculty on all levels, but that the programming and the initiatives and the work that they're doing is somehow grounded in who they are as an institution and and mm-hmm. what their goals are. What would be one thing that you would say to that director? Here's a, here's a way to start on on that path.
2: Well, you know, I I would answer almost any question anybody asked me in that realm of relationships. I I, th- I think things begin and end with relationships. So it's it's getting out there and you know, I have a lot of coffees and I drink a lot of coffee (laughs) and, you know, and I do that very, I, I just, I think that's really important to get to know the people who you are, I guess, to some extent serving in whatever capacity you're in. But for me, the mission, almost every time I'm asked to go talk to a class or talk to a group or go into a departmental meeting, I start with the mission. So, Mm -hmm. and, and that's very intentional on my end. It's a reminder because I think you know, it's not uncommon for people to not know the mission, (laughs) right. Or to forget the mission, even if they did know it or, or not understand. And so I start very explicitly with the mission of the university and, and talk about, you know, in a broad way. And I start again, in my case, it's different if you're not a, or it can be different if you're not a faith-based institution, but even if you're not starting with a contemplation or a moment where people can stop and you ask them questions like, you know, what does it mean for you to work here? You know, what do you, what are you getting from this? Where do you find joy? What, what do you think about your day? Or, you know, those kinds of things. There's all different kinds of little strategies that you could employ regardless of your own institution's mission, um, that could remind people that we are all here in theory under one broad kind of umbrella to do something, (laughs) Right. You know, there, there is to do something, to, to whatever that is, you know, to graduate students, to go into this particular field or to, but most institutions will have something that I think we could attach to that will make our, in, in some ways it makes our job easier because mm-hmm. you're all kind of, you are kind of brought together under, under this one aspirational goal. Mm-hmm. So if nothing else, just reminding people of that mm-hmm. <laughs> and starting out whatever um, communication you have with a blocked off mission. Sometimes I even do that in our emails that go out every week to faculty of a a little saying or a little motivational talk that we do have a different kind of way of being at this institution. And don't forget that you might not be able to do it all the time Mm -hmm. or you may not be too familiar with it. And then reminding people what those resources are to better step into that. It's probably more than one answer. But I think remind people of the mission and go out and build those relationships because- When I go have those coffees, I oftentimes end up talking kind of like this, even yeah. if it's just briefly to remind faculty that, you know, that we, we do have this unique identity and, and there are places they can come to, to get more. I'll do some one-on-ones with faculty to just give them the foundational kinds of things, to give them that little bit of boost of confidence, to say, well, I could at least do the reflection part. Do you have one for me? <laughs> I'll say, yeah, I'll email it to you. Here's a real simple one. You can just do it with students. And then they start to get like, oh, I can be sort of distinctly Ignatian in this classroom. Yeah. So, you know, some of it's that confidence too, but I just think it, end, it begins and ends with building the relationships, Yeah, whether I love that. going I love out, that. creating coffee talks, having something fun for, for faculty, a social or something like that. I think, I think can be a little something that could go a long way in getting people in to participate in some of those other things you might want to do.
1: I love that. That's great. Well, this has been fantastic. Yeah, it's been I, it's fun. Everything I expected, everything I hope for and more uh, way beyond expectations. Uh, I think this is going to be a really important resource for our listeners, uh, particularly for those who are tasked with and missioned with supporting faculty in a very, very um, hands on way. Uh, through their works and uh, work and efforts uh, in teaching and learning centers. So, thank you so much. Well, thanks
2: for asking me. I'm, I'm humbled to to have been asked. And um, yeah, I just hope you have a, have a great rest of your week.
1: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. So, thank you for joining me and for sharing these seeds of knowledge and experience with our listeners. A big thank you to our listeners as well for tuning in. If this is your first week listening to the APL Mini Pad please be sure to subscribe to our podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. We release a new episode each week in two formats, a podcast and a video. You're welcome to learn from our guests in either format. Visit aplnexted.com slash podcast to access the full library of mini pod episodes. And you can read a lot more about Jennifer and the work she's doing at Marquette University and our other show guests in the show links on the website until next week. Be well and take care. Thanks very much.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you to today's guest and thank you to you, our listeners. You can find out more about our guest in the show notes. We hope the APL NextEd Minipod is a helpful resource to you and your teams. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your colleagues. The APL NextEd Minipod is brought to you by APL NextEd. The leading academic operations platform helping academic teams connect and collaborate in one place. To learn more about how APL NextEd is helping schools streamline academic operations, visit aplnexted.com.